You're listening to EG's Future of Bristol podcast. I'm Tim Burke, EG's Deputy Editor. And over the next 35 minutes, you'll be hearing from our guests as they debate what the real estate industry needs to offer to help Bristol as it recovers from the pandemic. How it can continue to attract occupiers to its offices. How it can ensure that supply meets demand in the housing market. And how it can help to build the kinds of sustainable communities that we've all learned we need after events of the past 18 months. I'm joined by James Jury, Chief Executive of the Bristol Chamber of Commerce and Initiative, Paddy Hales, Head of the Bristol Office at Savills, and Elena Marco, Professor in Teaching and Learning in Architecture and the Built Environment at the University of the West of England. You'll hear our conversation in just a moment. But first, a word from our partners. Bristol is a city that is diverse, creative and innovative. With global demand remaining robust and many opportunities emerging, Bristol will continue to grow and consolidate its position as one of the UK's most attractive locations to both live, work and play. I'm Paddy Hales, Head of Savills Bristol Office. On behalf of Savills, we are delighted to be headline partner for the EG's Future of Bristol. Please get in touch if you'd like to talk about any of the themes and topics discussed on the Future of Bristol. James, as we reach the midpoint of the year, where do you see Bristol's recovery in terms of its progress? We've had the One City Economic Recovery Plan mapped out. Where do you you see the city in terms of uh, its recovery now? We've experienced a a year, in fact, 16, 18 months like we've never had before. So we're seeing, I think, a whole shift in... um, uh, 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 well, many shifts and and lots of kind of um, different forces pushing uh, the city as it is clearly across this country and indeed beyond that. But um, and I think we're seeing that in Bristol, bearing out um, in lots of different things as a mixed picture. But we've had a set of businesses that have quite quickly adapted and operated, and some quite successfully. Some I think are having some problems with their uh how they continue to operate in a in a different environment and how they transition but some financially have have got really good results some some, some doing fine and, and then we have had a cohort of businesses bearing in mind someone like bristol has got a very strong cafe cultural uh cultural offer like a cafe society really um they've had to just had their doors closed they haven't been able to get anybody through the door um are some of our uh, major cultural institutions and smaller ones um and they're just starting to open the door and finding a different way of doing it in a safer way. There's issues around viability in terms of can they get enough um, bluntly, uh, um, head count through to, to justify the business models? How, can they get the kind of staff that they need in those organisations? So there's quite a lot of strain I think we're seeing by and issues that are, aren't related purely to the pandemic uh, related to that. Bristol is an expensive place, but also the UK is now, uh, I think, um, uh, put itself in a slightly different pers- perspective in terms of either retraining or attracting people from particularly the rest of the U- European Union uh, who tradition well for a number of years have worked in in those places so it is a mixed picture but I have to say you um the fundamentals of the city are so strong that actually there is an awful lot of positivity there are all sorts of businesses that have started up have operated um 
uh, are operating now in a, a range of sectors, particularly places like the creative sector, our tech sector, um, funnily enough, food and distribution, but but a whole raft of different areas where we are seeing great innovation happening. Um, some of which you'll be uh, working and operating in local markets, some of which you're in national, international markets. And, and you've got the likes of our universities, uh, I think, playing an important role. They, they from an undergraduate perspective, have been uh, had some massive challenges, but actually in terms of what they do in in helping to, um, uh, I think, bring vibrancy and bright young people um, into the city or hang on to them, hold them in the city, they have an incredibly important role. And we've got the you know, University of Bristol particularly who are uh, committed to build this new enterprise campus next to our main transport node, Trample Mead Station, which is in it. I think it's probably the biggest game changer into the future for the city. Elena, James mentioned there the strong fundamentals that have, that have stood Bristol in, in good stead despite the challenges of the last you know, 15 more months. What for you are the ingredients, the factors that Bristol really has in its favour at this time? So for me, I mean, you have to take it within the context where I operate. Uh, I run the third largest department of architecture and the built environment in the UK and the largest outside London. Uh, after Westminster and UCL. And uh, I have got around 2,500 students, undergraduate, postgraduate and research students that they need to go out there and get jobs at some point in the next, you know, this year and the next two or three years. You also have to, as um, James was mentioning, the universities, my, I, I don't know about Bristol University because it's my competitor, but let's talk about UE. I know UE supports around 8,000 jobs, um, three of those 3,000 which are, are within the university and contributes around 400 million to the West of England economy and that's passed. And if you think about it, um, we haven't had the students back as we would expect normally now for 18 months. And even going into the winter, things are not looking rosy yet in any way and form. No. So within that context, I think the universities have still a, a role to play within the city, but I think it's also that is a role that is changing within the city and how much is still a bit unclear. Um, for me, thinking about the well-being of the students is tremendously important that those students have got a university experience and they go back to the university. One of the biggest things I have seen in the last 18 months is not that the students are not capable to do a much more blended or much more online hybrid type of learning. The problem is they are needing is the social interactions and getting out of the bedrooms. And the problems that that has led in relation to mental health and well-being are astonishing. And the personal circumstances of each of them as a head of department sometimes I'm tremendously proud of their resilience, but at the same time, you are unaware of the long-term consequences that this is going to have into these younger generations. Because if you think about it, some of them have never, ever been in campus, especially the first years. They've ne never been there. So if you think from that perspective, I mean, their recovery, I think there is certain aspects of their recovery which are tangible and some aspects of the recovery they are completely intangible and I think in some cases might leave 
deeper scars that sometimes I don't think we are thinking so much about those ones. And I don't know if it happens to kind of uh, James and, and, um, and Paddy, but sometimes you really focus on things that you can achieve and you can sort out and they are kind of, you know, just kind of, let's do that. But there are other things that we don't know the consequences. And for me, those ones are the ones that they are much more challenging in a way that kind of before I could never have imagined, if that makes any sense. It's not something I have done a business plan or I've planned ahead in any way and form. I think that's such an interesting point about the impact that, that lockdowns have had on students. And I, I think not just for young students, young professionals as well, who have missed who have missed the interaction that they would get in in the workplace i think there's there's such an impact on on mental health well-being and personal development from what we've we've been through over the past year paddy um take us through what what you and the savills team uh, are seeing on the ground day in day out doing deals um and how the real estate markets have responded it's interesting to pick up on on both the comments made earlier about the short-term impact there has been on those running businesses and living in, and then getting education in Bristol. And I think the short-term impact has been catastrophic, especially for certain people. It does not, hasn't hit everyone the same. But long-term, uh, actually, I think that, that there are some benefits that will come out of it, just trying to see the glass half full. And we're seeing, I think, in the real estate markets, people moving towards our city core. And I think there is a renaissance of our city core, which you can't remember. You know, 20 years ago, was very different to today. We saw a hollowing out of our city centres. And it's not just happening in Bristol. I think Bristol's really well suited to benefit from this change on how people want to live and work in the city cores. You could argue that 20 years ago, our city centres just became shopping malls, which are needed. But there was too much of a focus on that. Now we're seeing this push towards living and working in our city course. And that's that's been retained and uh, maintained. I'm, I'm continually surprised, um, speaking to my office agency team, how much letting is still going on of office space in our city course. And it, it just you, it amazes me. They do tend to be smaller floor plates. They do tend to be smaller businesses, but it's ongoing. And on a, on a residential side, there's been this massive push for people to live in a rural environment. But that isn't to say our demand for city centre living has maintained, if not increased. And ironically, the bigger picture, you know, this is benefiting Bristol. You know, the, the changes to uh, how society's looking at where they should live and work, there is a push towards quality of life. Where can I live and where do I want to live? And, and luckily, Bristol wins in those locations. I mean, that's unfair. You have winners and losers. You shouldn't look at it like that. But people, I think it's great that people are able to move to places they want to live and want to work. And, and we tick those both, both those boxes. I think Guardian, best place to work. Uh, and Times, we're the best place to live. And so we are seeing an influx of people from outside, which is great because it brings vibrancy to Bristol. You know, it's sad because we've had a really tough time and a lot of people are suffering. But Bristol as a whole is probably going to come out a winner from it. And what does that mean for supply within real estate? So letting, standing up strongly, you say, um, demand for city centre living still there. 
what does this mean for the kind of developments that, uh, let's say, Bristol might need more of, perhaps might need less of in some areas? There is a problem, ironically, in, in, a, in Bristol has got a limited supply of land in its city core. And there are continued demands from a lot of different uses. And it's great because we are going to see mixed use, but we need to see the encouragement of this to happen quicker. I think what we don't want is our retail core, which is very centralised because it was all built at the same time, slowly declining. We want to see some of it develop quickly. Otherwise, it's going to be a drag. People aren't going to want to live next to thing, something that is failing. And I think we want to see that replaced sooner rather than later. I'd also say we want an encouragement. And it's difficult to justify development of residential in a city core because the cost of developing it. And there are a lot of barriers in the way, be it sale, be it size requirements, et cetera, et cetera. There's demand, but it's very expensive. And because of that expense, I fear it might be slightly pushed to the edges. Um, James might, both and Elena might have a comment on that, but I, I, I want to see more of it right in the core. I was just thinking one of the things we've noticed in Bath and Bristol, that maybe that's within our kind of department more, is the amount of people from London uh, actually buying properties. And not only that, uh, I have seen a massive, you know, I've been in Bath and Bristol area for the last 21 years. And I think I would say in the last three years, the amount of people that are moving from London to Bristol Bath and the surrounding areas, if that makes any sense, accessible from Bristol Parkway or Bristol Temple Meads, it's been enormous and the, the differences on that is also pushing market prices, I would say, up as a consequence. And I was just wondering, you know more about the Savile type of things. What's happening there or, or have you seen that? Because we've seen it in architecture in terms of the projects that we are asked to retrofit or redo, friends of mine, companies that I know of and how that's affecting the area. I would be just interested. It, 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 very good point. I mean, 50% of Savile's Savile sales, it's very different, but be careful. Last year, with some people outside. But be careful when you just say London. You know, if I, a lot of the people who live and work in Bristol are just not from Bristol, but they're not from London. London, actually, if you look at a, a, a spot check of people who are around here, you'll probably find it might be people who've moved moving out of London who previously were from the southwest. I've got a situation here with the biggest drag on here. I'm a Cardiff boy originally. I've got a very large percentage of Welsh people living at uh, working in this office, either now living in Bristol or have commute from Cardiff. We are a honeypot. From, the, from Somerset, Devon, Gloucester, it's where the young want to come. And I think that's a big difference between Bath and Bristol. But, you know, as London has drawn those with enthusiasm and, and youth to it, Bristol is fulfilling that function at the moment. And I think we should celebrate it, not worry about it, because we're bringing in people from all around the southwest and further afield. And I think it's brilliant. And does that influence corporate occupiers as well if we if we do start to see businesses look let's say initially outside of london perhaps more to the regions is there an opportunity to be grasped in bristol's city center office market too i think there is uh there is an opportunity i think we'll as uh, paddy will be able to tell me tell us in more, more better detail than i will but bristol is a 
is a you know one of the the top eight cities but it, we're a lot smaller than a birmingham or a manchester we're clearly we're in the south which is a basic uh fundamental the um in terms of the the scale of the the size of the market is smaller our ability to attract some of those occupiers um is probably not as great um the uh uh, the cost of living is is in comparative terms is is higher. Having said that, we are seeing and we've seen people like in more in recent years people like Dyson, people like Pure Electric um, set up um, not that long ago who are um, pushing uh, um, micro mobility scooters and electric bikes, you know, taking offices and moving people into the city centre because they know that's where they're going to be able to. Um, hang on to or retain the talent if they want to get people who are uh, want that kind of urban living um, they they need to be in a city center people want to be in the in the in the in the thrust of a, of a thriving interesting city with a great you know cultural music food scene they don't want to be um, out 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 uh, so I think you know it's playing to so many of Bristol's strengths but just at this present moment um, a lot of that a lot of that sort of vibrancy has had has has we've had to press the pause button but i think bluntly it will co it will come back because you know the the shield the vaccine shield that's in place now uh will will continue uh and i think you know the as as we've said earlier i think there's a there is a really positive story but that does put huge amount of strain that i think one of the questions that elena asking was around um inward migration and some of it is definitely is from um the southeast but uh, bristol has long time drawn people from a long uh, uh, you know further away it is is naturally attracts people that puts a lot of strain on where do, where do we house them uh, how do they move around and actually uh, i'm afraid that there isn't a direct link between more people coming and the council getting necessarily or or the authorities getting more money to to fund it so it puts more obligation and more more challenge on a um, a strained system, which is uh, we can get into, but maybe that's another discussion. But but sorry, just jump in. You're absolutely there is an issue with the amount of supply of space. But the point you actually touch on at the beginning is people want to come here. And in the past, you know, you took 50 years ago, a century years ago, a city thrived on a resource that it had, be it a harbour, a stream of coal, a railway station. Now the greatest resource to any company is people. That is the resource of the future. And therefore, businesses want to locate in places that people want to live, not the other way around. And it's totally changed the game. So you want to be placing your business in a place that people actually want to live. And again, it does play to our strength, as James picks on. We've got to get the, the housing in place so we can afford to have those people here. But it, it, that's a quality problem. But also it has to do with infrastructure and access. And Bristol is very has got a very good infra transport infrastructure across the board, trains, kind of public transport, kind of aviation, even if we are in COVID environment. And that makes it tremendously attractive, as you will see other cities like Manchester in similar circumstances. That infrastructure is critical as well for Bristol going forward. How, staying on that residential topic, how important has permitted development been? to housing in Bristol and, and given given some of the controversy at the moment around the, the planning reforms. I'm going to throw that at Elena. I think she's got to be right for that. I I'm going to throw it back to Paddy. I think it's controversial. <laughs> I, I've also got the planning school within my uh, elements. It is very controversial, isn't it? Because there is a big difference. Uh, per, 
permitted development doesn't have to do anything good, good quality development at times. And I think there is a big differentiation between the two of them. So there is a massive push for development. Uh, however, that hand in hand, sometimes people can forget the good quality of places for people to thrive and want to live and the well-being and all those things about can be sometimes to a certain extent compromise and I would say that there is a lot of game playing uh, in relation to what is originally in a planning application for example and what ends up being built and at the end of the day that is something that would not help the, city, the Bristol City Council either. So controversial, tricky, very, very strong opinions about very different sectors. For me, as the architect in the room, which likes, of course, beautiful things, but I have still, uh, uh, everything I've built is being within budget. You have to take into consideration that sometimes we are not building good places for the future. Well, not even for the future, for even now. And I think there is a certain balance and equilibrium and proportionality between permitted development or development in any way and form and how you want to look at it and what we're doing at the, this moment in time, because that will not help us going forward. I think there's some very good points put on that, but I think it's benefited Bristol a lot. Two things. One, at first, it removed a lot of the office space that wasn't very popular at the time, and that enabled a reinvestment into the office space that was left. And that has really revitalised our office market in the city core. Much better quality offices because people could afford to do it. Secondly, I think the, the first permitted development that came above, it, it, it actually, it was a stepping stone to bring people into the city court. At the beginning, there wasn't any. You know, students made that first step into the city court because no one else wanted to live there. And they got there through permitted development. And then it was the stepping stone for more to happen. I don't think without that, the cost of it happening, I don't think we would have seen the renaissance away from the harbour side that we've seen in the city court. I think today we may have a problem with permitted development. I think the demand for having quality is great. However, you know, there are limitations on size requirements in our, in our city core. And, you know, the, the vast majority of people who want to sit, live in our city core want single occupancy, small living that they can afford. And at the moment, there are restrictions above that they can't get into, which permitted development would allow. It's a very complicated and difficult scenario. We all want more residential, but it is the most expensive space compared to its cost, uh, its value at the end to produce. So anything that makes it cheaper, to my mind, is a good thing. But I've got to be careful because I'm not a planner. James, you are, of course, talking to businesses of of all shape, sizes, types uh, about their experiences uh, during the past year or so. I'm interested in, in your thoughts on how strained some of the relationships have become between landlords and tenants, particularly given news that the the rent and eviction moratorium is being extended. What what kind of impact is is that having on on relationships between real estate owners and the businesses uh, taking their space this this pandemic has tested 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 businesses in so many different ways including their ability to uh, you know if they if they have a premises to be able to meet their obligations uh, and clearly many many of those have had to talk to their landlords 
earlier earlier or later uh, in the, as part of that process to see if there's leeway. Um, I don't I don't sense the uh, uh, and Paddy may may have a lot more knowledge and information than I do. I don't sense, sense that Bristol's been particularly worse than other places. I think um, some of the the money which is funded through central government through the local authority has you know not always as quickly as we'd like has got into the hands of. Uh, businesses to enable them to see their way through at least for a short-term period um, and I have to say you have to put that as a positive that government has delivered around that that to an extent it's never quite enough money that people would ideally like but it's put grants into the hands of businesses and there is a discretionary pot ongoing but I think you know undoubtedly for private landlords um, uh, and others they've had to take a view uh, in and they've in you know, everybody's had to readjust look at their essential costs and work out what 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 do they do? What line do they take if you're a landlord or a tenant? But that, I mean, we have seen and we've supported as far as we can a number of businesses, many whom ultimately have had to throw in the towel. I'm afraid, um, and others, I suspect, as we come out of this, will often the I think the 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 uh, experience of of challenging times in our economy is that sometimes the problems are seen as as we start to move out when people get a um, uh, issue about availability of cash really cash flow is is such an issue um, and then you've got companies who many of whom are servicing more debt a lot more debt than they had and that comes through in our quarterly economic surveys across the piece which in, will include their ability to pay their rent but Paddy have you got any more thoughts around the, the landlord tenant issue? I think through this whole crisis we've seen the best of people and we've seen the worst of some people and there are people who gain the system and there are landlords who behave badly and their tenants behave badly and they're probably in equal measure uh, and I just hope people have long memories for those who did behave in the best possible way and those who didn't. I would agree with that. Nicely put. Yep. There are some really exciting regeneration projects going on in the city and so as we draw this to a close I was going to ask each of you to maybe highlight point to a scheme, a development, something happening in Bristol that really excites you when you think about, I guess, a new vision for the city as it looks ahead. It could be one that you're personally involved with. Of course, it doesn't have to be, but it would be interesting to um, to hear some highlights that you see that you see going on in the city around you. Elena, could I ask you to go first? OK, so there's a number of them that they are interesting, but I don't like everything that they have on it. So that worries me. The Temple Quarter or Temple Island or the new development investments, Ben Bedminster or the YTL um, development in terms of the housing and the uh, arena. So there is lots of them, but because they worried me, there is some really good stuff going on and some not so good stuff. The one I wanted to focus was the expansion of Bristol Temple Meets and what it will mean for the city. Uh, and that for me is one of the biggest opportunities uh, in terms of kind of what it will mean, the, um, the, not just the expansion, because how they are kind of planning to do it is not just an expansion, it's how the, the, the station becomes more permeable to the city. And I think that's re really important and how it connects better. So I'm quite excited uh, about the expansion of Temple Meets and what it will mean for the city of Bristol going forward. And I have to ask, tell us about some of the worries you have on on other schemes. What what boxes are what boxes maybe are you not seeing ticked on some um, of these other projects? Placemaking in particular is one of the biggest. You know, some areas they have got a really good. Uh, um, 
let's call it interface between the proportional schemes and the streetscape and otherwise not so good that is the and if you think about it going going forward the the city as i think it was james that was pointing out that the, the cities the city has got a very um external interface or threshold between the inside and the outside a lot of bristol things happen in the streets and there is quite a lot of kind of tradition into that and as place making for bristol is really really important and i'm not sure especially you have, you have to take it with a pinch of salt that i'm i come from barcelona I have been 21 years in this country, if that makes any sense, getting to used to the kind of British culture and how you do things. For me in Barcelona, um, the cityscapes and the, the kind of the being outside in kind of uh, green spaces, plazas, uh, avenues is part of what you do every day. It's part of your daily life. And one of the things I have seen in Bristol, especially I would say in the last seven or eight years, is that city... Uh, placemaking has become more and more important, especially with the development of the harbour, development of the city centre and kind of um, has opened up a lot of opportunities. And in general, what um, Kalinan has done in terms of the um, new housing development, all the master plan around the other end of the harbour. So one of the things, the new schemes, I don't think they are, they are doing so successfully is connecting the placemaking that the city already have and the green spaces as they could do. And I, for me, that's a missed opportunity in a way, because sometimes we prioritize, and I know, for example, I, I assume for Paddy and James, it's really important to kind of how much do you build or what type of kind of things do you build, but the quality of those spaces is what will make also Bristol very, very successful. And one of the things I always remember is one of the first time when I came to Bristol, I run, I think it was 22 years ago, the first time I came to, to Bristol, one of the things it was, it felt like kind of this concrete uh, things landing it, especially the car park. It was like kind of, you, you, you went to Bristol and it was all kind of quite concrete-like. And I remember that you couldn't experience the highlights, you know, you couldn't experience the highlights of the um, of the cathedral. You couldn't experience the, uh, the, the oldest, uh, theater in Europe, they're all big, you couldn't experience St. George. And those things now have started transforming the cultural scene, the placemaking scheme in the city. And they are kind of, some of them are discrete interventions. And sometimes I'm really worried that we are kind of thinking on delivering, 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 but not considering the quality and gets very compromised. And obviously think, as an architect, I love beautiful things. So I'm sorry about that as well. I think it's a fair warning. Let, let's hope that those um, those missed opportunities aren't aren't completely lost for good. That you that, that you point I out. I think there. something. I think, for example, some of the projects that the University of Bristol is doing are going to be really valuable in opening the city as well. And there is some uh, one of a couple of the schemes that they are kind of coming up now in Bedminster are going to be quite successful. But there are others that are worrying. James, what city schemes have you got your eye closest on? I, I've got one particular, but I wanted to just just comment on, um, if that's OK, um, the some of the things that we've experienced in the last uh, year. Uh, you know, Bristol's been in the spotlight, not always for the right reasons or for reasons that we, well, in PR terms, we absolutely want and we need to face the fact that um, the past of the city so the you know the Cabot uh, statue etc which um, you know and you saw people will have seen the uh, the recent program on BBC2 with our mayor um, we have got a city which is uh, at times I'm afraid um, 
not as not as unified as it can be but i think it is you know there's a huge amount of energy and work going on i think to make sure that people of all all walks have opportunities um the 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 challenge of the last year has pulled i think put the strain on some of the the least disadvantaged sometimes it's people from some of our diverse communities we know that you know the our, our diverse communities are some of the fastest part of our population so we we ignore that we're at our peril in terms of how do we consciously think about that in city planning terms i think um one one little po well one big positive is um maybe not after the experience of what happened for bristol bears on the pitch but um, within the, its facilities, we have got an amazing sporting uh, offer increasing. We've got um, Ashton Gate and Bristol Sport bringing forward a proposal, which is about actually the power of sport to change people's opportunities in life and to transform the, the power of sport. I say that uh, I'm cheating, really, because I, I think at the other end of the city, the, 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 the smaller example I wanted to cite him, if that's OK, is in St Paul's, which I actually I am I am involved with, which is a smaller scheme. But I think it's an example and actually taking some of inspiration from Alicante uh, and other places, but particularly Alicante, looking at uh, creating an intergenerational residential scheme, which uh, in um, Brunswick Square, we have two charities working with each other to create uh, and it's it's got to go through a planning system yet, but a, a potentially an intergenerational model scheme to enable older and younger people to live and work sorry to to live together with the deal being that the older people and the younger people kind of um, collaborate with each other on the basis the younger people look out for the older people and vice versa the younger people probably get a slightly so it's an arms house for the future I think um, and it enables some of the younger people to get into, into, into the housing into into a central place but also actually uh, develop friendships and strong relationships, strong strong um, types with some older people. So you have a sort of mix of you know 40 odd homes with 10 younger people, 30 older people, and I think we're recreating kind of communities uh, using mm -hmm. that kind of model, which we we can I think we can extend, uh, and it's not the only one in the country, but I think it's somewhere Bristol is going to help to take a bit of a lead, and I'm quite excited about that because I think um, we all realised in the last <laughs> year more than ever that actually. Our communities are what really matters the people around us and actually we need to we need to make sure that we create those strong ties for people whether you're young or old it doesn't matter you need to be able to look after your neighbors they also have got some really good examples now in bristol's or low carbon uh, housing schemes and that again that is kind of really nice and that was i was thinking like the, you know within the developments they are really really beautiful jewels that we should not lose sight of even though sometimes the bigger picture is not as successful yeah, as it yeah, could be yeah i, I th and i think we're realizing as a city maybe uh, elena we get to the point where we don't even talk about the fact that everything's got to be either net carbon zero or close to it now it should be a, just a given it's not a question of if it's just a question of how how you do that there is a cost premium but we're starting to see office development along that way and residential schemes so i think you know bristol as a green capital is already there but sometimes we probably need to bang the drum a bit as to what we're doing <laughs> it's always been the kind of the adage that money has no moral opinion and i try to find out where that was from this guy called adam polinsky originally came up with it um, uh, it was done by the, uh, I, I, I think in, I know I'm not going to go into the fifties. No. Uh, money has no moral opinion. That, that, that used to be the phrase and it isn't the case anymore. You know, the fact of this money does have a moral opinion and it's really interesting. And I chat this through both with the younger members of staff here who certainly have a, uh, different 
a background to myself, how the world they grew up in the world, and also my children. And the fact is, the corporate world now is moving so quickly in the right direction. I would argue it's moving quicker than some of the local governments are working out. I'm not saying Bristol, I'm saying in general. And that demand for zero carbon, that fact that things would have strong social impact, this is where people want to be seen to invest their money. Mark Carney in his reflections, if you haven't listened to him, you've got to listen, he's brilliant, right? And he talks about if you care about how the world is, find out where your money's invested. And that's interesting is what people are starting to do now. And therefore, if you are going to build a, a, do a new building, you've got to make sure it hits the requirements of your investors. And I think Savills did a study that 30 percent of house builders shares are owned by people who have made zero, zero G by 30. I can't give the dates, but that means those house builders have got to get their act together. 30 percent of the shares are going to have to be sold. And that's today. I mean, it's really encouraging. And I think Bristol is aware of this. As to which development do I like best? I've got to say, and I've got to be political, I say I like them all. And the fact is they all do interrelate. And I want them all to happen. Because the more development, the more mixed use, the more residential, the more new offices we see, the better for all of them. They all bounce off each other. And I think that's the right political answer to come up with, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it probably is. I think it probably is. Paddy, James, Elena, thank you all so much for making time to be with EG today. Really great to get all your thoughts on this. And thank you for listening to EG's Future of Bristol podcast. Remember that you can head to egi.co.uk forward slash news for all of our podcasts and video streams, including our other Future of Cities reports, as well as all of the latest real estate news, analysis and data.